Hey there, boys and girls. It is September 10th, 2016. Welcome to another episode of the Sadiness on the Ground podcast. What's up? What's up? Uh, well, today our yeah. guest is uh, Susan Schillinglaw from uh, Steinbeck Center. I'm, I, I'm excited. This is, <laughs> is going to be a good episode. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's always cool because you're you're the director of the Signback Center, right? That's I am. Yeah, we have to throw titles out there because those are always exciting. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, and you seem to be kind of an authority on Steinbeck, right? So, oh. it, I, and I, I love Steinbeck, not just again being he does. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. I feel like a homer sometimes because I'm from Salinas, but it's like I, I I think if I was born anywhere, I think I would have been drawn to Steinbeck anyway. Oh. He's just he's such a great writer. Um, how he describes things. <sighs> We'll get into that. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so I'm excited, again, as a Steinbeck nerd, to have uh, somebody that, that knows a lot more than me. Um, but, I'm, again, I'm kind of scared that I'll say something and you'll be like, oh, remember, like, page 37 of Red Pony? Like, no, I won't. I promise you I won't say that. But, anyway. But the, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I mean, and, and we are also, we're starting this uh, thing of NEA Big Read 2016, which is the reason why I reached out to you guys, actually. And so we definitely are going to get into that here as well. Um, but, yeah, and, and there's so many events. Uh, there's so many events going on for that. Uh, but, let, yeah, let's actually start there because that's, what, again, what I'm curious about. And what exactly is the, uh, the big, big read? Well, actually, Steinbeck brought me to the big read because I've been involved in Steinbeck for years and years. I teach at San Jose State as well, so I taught oh. Steinbeck for a lot Wait, of Wait, does years. this count as credit? I wonder. <laughs> sure it does. Yeah. Give me a call. Um, so I used to be invited for the Grapes of Wrath. That was one of the first books on the Big Read list. Yeah. And so I would go to these tiny towns, Enterprise, Oregon, and Haver, Montana, places I'd never heard of. And they had communities read together. And the idea was if everybody read the same book, then people would be more civic-minded. There'd be a stronger sense of community. That was the origin of the whole project. They didn't so, work in high school. Yeah, it didn't work <laughs> Well, they're hoping no. post-high no. school. And so we decided at we had, the Steinbeck Center read the Grapes of Wrath in like 2008, and then um, or maybe earlier than that. I guess it was 1998. And then 2008 they did um, uh, Fahrenheit 451. So we just thought we'd apply again. And then this was on the list. Um, there's a list of books you can apply for. So Sun, Stone, and Shadows, 20 Mexican great Mexican short stories was on the list. And we thought, ah, perfect for Salinas. So we applied for that and got I, the grant. I was curious about that. I was like, wow, that's kind of serendipitous. You know, I was like there yeah. has to be a, a story behind why it's 20, Mexican, uh, 20 great Mexican short stories. I think that it was published just for the big read. Because oh. it's got it's oh. a collection I think that was generated for this project, and they're great. I was I was I like it because it's it's such a varied uh, genre. It's not like these like all romantic type stories that are like Robert Frost, you know, something hard to to get through. No. Like um, there was one that that really caught my attention that I had heard elsewhere. Um, it's about a, a switchman. Yes. Sw- yeah, and I, I, I read it. I had heard it in Spanish. I, um, well, recently, Stefania, mm. our our person that helps with the booking, um, she's got the yeah. She has uh, a book called El Confabulario, and and it's a, a collection of short stories from that writer. I think his last name is Ariola. Oh. Um, but in that in that book is that Switchman story. So it was like 
hearing it, it was so weird. And then reading it translated was interesting. Like, because um, I mean, I'm I'm native Spanish speaker, but ultimately English dominates. Yeah, you know, every, everything. I, that's where I feel the most comfortable. Um, so it, the translations sometimes are 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 interesting, and so. Re- hearing it in Spanish, I didn't get the same tone as he- reading it in English. Oh, really? It seemed a lot more frantic when I was reading it in English. A lot. Again, I felt again more of the, the, the drama, I guess, like uh, this weird train. Um, but yeah, it, and, uh, that's what I, I thought it was cool that it was here because I was like, oh crap, I get to read it in English. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I get to, uh, I actually know this story. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it, it was a, a good selection. And again, it's it doesn't matter what style you like to read or, or even watch or listen to whatever it is this book has some story for you no it's a really it's a really good collection i think i love the first story my life with the wave by octavia paz and that's the one that western stage chose to um they're gonna perform it and so it's reader's theater so they're gonna have several people several students performing it in various libraries around the county so i don't know what they'll do but it's such a a quirky story. I love it. So that's the first one in the volume. Wait, so Hartnell students are going to be in libraries around the county and yeah, just performing act- "My Life with the Wave." So I hope people like that one. Some of them are pretty, you know. Some of them are brutal, like the the one about um, Pancho Villa and the Revolution is pretty brutal story. Um, some of them are. One of them is kind of didactic about what happens when you pick up a hitchhiker. And you, you're really suspicious, and you're sort of scared. And then the person turns out to, you know, give a kind of revelation. And you learn something. So, there, I love the range of the stories. You really get a sense of, I think, Mexican literature from reading the stories. And then, so there's going to be a, a, a several events in the next weeks, several weeks, right? Yeah, or it's about. Well, we we scheduled it from um, the 16th Independence Day through Day of the Dead. Yeah. So and oh, it wow. ties in with a lot of other stuff happening oh. here. The film festival uh, at the Maya Cinemas, which opened which is yesterday. Like impossible to find the film list. <laughs> I know so bad, I'm, but I can't find the film list anywhere. I know it opened last night, and very few people were there, and they didn't really know what the film was about. But there are there are lists of the films, and they look great. So and it's playing for the next what 10 days so yeah and it's six dollars so it's right it's, it's cheaper than an actual it's like a matinee showing and um well there was uh, there was one that had some pretty big name actors in it that i that i, I did uh, I, who was it and, it and it went some sort of list of list some sort of um trying to think who it was and i'm kind of trying to lead into james franco doing uh, in dubious battle oh <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Nice segue, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I could think of it all. But um, the idea was there. The intent was there. Uh, but that, that recently caught my attention. And, um, and did the Steinbeck Center have any involvement in that? Or, or? No. We're, well, we, we found out they were doing it. So we went over and talked to the manager. And we want to show Steinbeck films after their... So we're going to show Steinbeck's Mexican films after the Mexican film festival's over. So... Um, we'll be showing Tortilla Flat and Viva Zapata and Forgotten Village, which he made in Baja, well, in Mexico City after yeah. he was in Baja in 1940. So, uh, and The Pearl. Uh, so we're going to show four yeah. films on Wednesdays. So, And then Western Stage is performing Bandito about Vasquez, and Steinbeck wrote about Vasquez. So there's lots of overlap um, between what's happening in Salinas and Steinbeck's writing. 
I, what would Steinbeck think of Salinas today? Wow, that's a, that's a really good yeah. question. You know, the thing I like about Steinbeck and the reason I never get bored with him is he was flexible and curious. And so um, he liked to just see what was happening in a particular place. So, for instance, you know, he went to Vietnam in 1966 and he was 64 years old and he wasn't in great health and he said I need to go find out what's happening in this war. Oh, wow. He was kind of he was a little bit pro-war because he knew Lyndon Johnson pretty well and late when he went after he went to Vietnam he changed his mind about the war. But I mean the point is he went there just cuz he said I've got to I got to be on the scene. I've got to figure out what's happening. I have yeah. to see it for myself. So I think that's the quality I really like about him. So I think if he came to Salinas today, he would... I mean, some things are still the same, you know? Yeah, there are, a lot. There are still kind of gaps between the haves and the have-nots. I think there's still issues that are serious issues of, you know, the social fabric of Salinas. But he would be intrigued by that. He'd want to do something. He'd want to, he'd want to pitch in. Yeah. And, you know, I, for all of leave, his leaving California and living in New York the last 18 years of his life, you know, he told his wife, I want to come back to Salinas to be buried. That's home. And that's all there is. You have to come back home. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's where he is. So I think home, Salinas, the Salinas Valley was really important to him. I, yeah, to me, I love his, again, there's always something to do in Salinas. It is, again, you could feel his tongue firmly planted on his cheek when you're reading it. But, but some, when he talks about the politics, you know, and, or the, the cow people looking down at the wheat people and yeah, the wheat people looking down at passage. the carrot people, or the, you know, and it's still that. Yeah. So much, uh, again, now it, it's, you know, the cauliflower people or the red Ikeo <laughs> people or, 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 you know, the vegetables are different. But, and then he also talks about that underlying violence. Like it, it, they, they try to put on the, this happy face, but really they, you, tell, you can tell it's a facade. That they're covering up something dark and sinister. And it's like, are you fucking kidding? Like, did you write this last week? <laughs> yeah, parts of it. Yeah, and it's just, I, I, I love uh, reading that. That is, again, not only because it's heavily focused on Salinas. It's one of the rare ones that's only Salinas. Um, you, know, you know what else he said about Salinas later when he was starting to write? Right before he started to write East of Eden, he said, I keep the tone of Salinas in my head like a remembered symphony. And I like that because symphonies are, are incredibly complicated. You know, various layers, various movements. Yeah. Um, and so Salinas is a, it's, it's a symphony. It's, you know, a complex place. Um, it's got a lot of different issues, but it's interesting, you know, yeah. challenging. I mean, I've lived in places that are um, Pacific Grove. I mean, it doesn't have as many challenges as Salinas, so I like coming here. You ever hung out in his cottage? Pacific. Oh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. Course. I know they? the woman who has just redecorated it. I mean, before this year, it hadn't been, nothing had been done to that place since 1901 oh, or wow. what, 1904, I guess, when they moved in. So the floorboards were rotting. You'd come in the front door and you'd kind of spring down and, you know, it was, you almost went through the floor. Yeah. So they just, they just fixed it up. Oh, wow. That's, That's cool. Yeah. 
a little bit. So now, now we can't go see the original building. It's still pretty much they kept Aww. it the same. <laughs> and, you know, they put in new windows. The no. windows are rotting. I mean, it really was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, it yeah. Right by the ocean, I'm sure. It's amazing that it. You survived. know, those houses are just one board. Thick. You said 1901. That's been over the 100 years. Yeah, they were still over 100 yeah, years. I know it was old. So, Sheesh. No. Yeah. Anyway, and I know you're the director of the Steinbeck Center, so you part of it is you have to kind of like support it and all that but would Steinbeck like the Steinbeck Center how it's how it is you know that's a good question I guess part of my well let's see the first part of it is he really when he wrote in the 30s he didn't want anybody to recognize him he thought if somebody recognized him he wouldn't be able to write so he was all about I can't I can't be egotistical. I can't have my name recognized. I don't want to be recognized because then I won't be able to write. Only if I'm not I'm anonymous will I be able to write. So I don't know if he would like, you know, the attention. However, later in his life, he got a lot of attention. He won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. You know, Salinas was going to name something after him, and they said, can we name the library after? You know, they wrote him letters. They had a Rodeo. That's what this little article's about. They had a Rodeo edition to the paper, and they named it after him. And he was kind of funny. He would write about, you know, sort of being having things named after him and said, Salinas shouldn't do that until I'm dead. Yeah. Um, so he was kind of... But um, so uh, the Steinbeck, around, uh, part know. two of the question, would he like the Steinbeck Center? I guess he would be... As you have to be kind of proud if something's named after you. You know, yeah. you win the Nobel Prize and, you know, what he said, I'm not sure I deserve it, but I'm sure proud to have it. And I think he'd say the same kind of about the center. Maybe I don't deserve a whole museum to my name, but yeah. I'm proud that it's here. And so I think he'd, he'd be glad that uh, people are brought to reading, the Steinbeck Young Authors. I hope he'd like the festival. I'm trying to bring things back to Steinbeck and kind of... <coughs> The things he was interested in go outward from there. Like he loved Mexico, for instance. All, about a third of his books are about Mexico. So I try to ground it in Steinbeck and then um, politics, social issues, places he visited, citizen of the world, There's uh, ecology. He was interested in a lot of stuff. So there's a lot you can do with his name attached. Yeah, yeah. That, that, he's more popular than ever, it seems like. A lot yeah. of people... Are, or, I hope so. Yeah. You think so? I, I think so because, again, this whole 1% thing and a, a lot of people are realizing we're getting a little, little bit of the people control a lot of the power. And that's, that's, that's Steinbeck. <laughs> that, that's what he always wrote about. Um, and he always seemed to side with, with the, the little people. He did. Um, yeah. Even though he did, he was pretty well off. You know, his dad was a treasurer or something, right? Or well, you know, in his teenage years, the family didn't have very much money because his father used to work for Sperry Flower right by where the old mayor's house is. And then he lost his job. So, so Mr. Steinbeck wrote a letter to his daughter who was in college and said, I feel washed up and completely like a has-been, and he was 49. So he went through this really dark period when Steinbeck was like 11 to 18, when he kept trying different jobs. They opened a food and grain store on Main Street, and then he was manager at Sperry Flower, and finally he became treasurer. But that wasn't when oh. you know Steinbeck was then in his twenties. Yeah. So I think oh. I think what your family's like when you're a teenager really yeah. affects who you are. 
and he um, he always felt like the family was poor and everybody looked down on him and that his father's former friends weren't supportive so he he was that's part of his feelings about Salinas he was always he felt that his family hadn't been treated fairly when they were having hard times going through hard times oh yeah well that now yeah you understand Steinbeck so much better if you learned <laughs> yeah. 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 well you know I think there's a letter where he says we're finally through the hard times and you know I think that's where a lot of that blackness and that sense of suffering comes from and he knew I, th- I don't think you can write about suffering unless you've suffered you yeah. have to have at least understand to be empathetic you have to understand what it's like to be an outsider I, I, I mean the other part yeah. of this is he always kind of felt like an outsider there, he has another statement he said I felt like an outsider since my fifth birthday party who feels you know like an outsider at five but you know some people do yeah yeah. And they become Nobel Prize winning writers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, I love, uh, again, some of my favorite Steinbeck reading is his Life and Letters, and it, it seems to go on forever. Um, again, some of, uh, some of his best you know, words, I think, come from the, the letter he sent to his son, whose the son told him, Oh, I, I have a girl I like. And he tells, Oh, you're in love, and love is great. And it's just like reading that, you're like, Dude, what the, Your dad sent you this like, letter? Like, I, I don't know, but that, that's, that's some of my favorite reading, and actually that's where we came across um, his pozole recipe, or his pisole recipe, that, as, as Steinbeck calls it, which is just chili and hominy. Because <laughs> we were thinking that at some point, we were like, what, what would be the Salinas dish? You know, if Salinas had a dish, like, well, obviously it would be some kind of salad, but that's, that's cliche. So I'd be like, well, what would Steinbeck cook? You know, and... Um, and I, I forgot what director he sent a letter to, but he was talking about when he was doing the travels with Charlie, that when he wasn't along any coast where he couldn't get seafood, he would make this. He would just go get chili and hominy and just put, put it together, and he would call it pisole instead of posole. <laughs> um, so we've made that a couple of times now. <laughs> it's good. It's These good guys drinking got food. done, and they made it for uh, the what is it, Kitty Capers? Yeah, yeah, that was. We fun. went, we went, yeah, we went next door, yeah. Mitierra, and we told them we have this recipe. We're going to make it and give this oh, really? away. So we made a they bunch of it there, out. and we would, yeah, yeah, Mitierra oh, here. They, they made it yeah. for us in their kitchen, and we were just out there. We had a table, and we were just putting in little cups and giving it out <laughs> during Kitty Capers, and it was freezing cold, so everybody was loving it. And did you put a, <laughs> did you put a stein over it saying what it was? No, no but we, we would describe we would it to everybody. Yeah, we would explain. It's a big bag, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was so kind of last so minute. Right. Like yeah. it just came across that, and it was like, oh, this is this. We have to do this. Big old chunks of pork, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't even yeah. get to cut it down. Oh, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, Oh, that's great. He mm-hmm. he would love that. Yeah. He'd come <laughs> yeah, he would so. yeah. like that. He would have come by for a little cup full. Yeah. I think. Um, but anyway, let's get back to this big read because I that's where we started and then we veered off, but. You listen to this he said, podcast. He said of his wife's Mexican cooking, he said, it's so hot it would make, it would make a normal woman pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he had, how, I don't know. The guy was fucking awesome. That's a quote right there. Yeah. We were here one time and some girl was like, brought up Steinbeck and she was obviously had too much beer and she said something about how, oh, he described in this thing, he described this so well. And Steinbeck's not usually known for his descriptions of things. And I'm like, what the, what? 
fucking like, have you tri- uh, uh, of mice and men of mice and men just how the fucking starts him describing the, the, the valley it's like oh my god I was just like you've obviously had too much to drink you don't know what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> yeah it was so frustrating but 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 anyway, yeah. Again, his his, his words. He's got he, great he, descriptions. I yeah, agree. Yeah. He's just the opening paragraphs of almost every work, and how he describes the Salinas Valley. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's still there. We take we take this geography for granted so much. Everyone that's born and raised here. Um, well, but, you're born and raised here. You never see anything else. You know. Yeah. We have four thousand foot mountains that are attached <laughs> to the ocean, and yeah. with this valley, when you look at, at like. Where you, you see the mountains and the valleys, you know, like on a map, uh. like Monterey, Salinas Valley is huge. Uh. It's huge. It's not. It's not the Central Valley, but it, it's an ocean-facing valley. And I, I don't know. And we have these big mountains. And Fremont Peak is thirty minutes away. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful up there. Yeah, that was a fun trip. Yeah. I, I I don't know, but yeah, I, I think we we take it for granted. And you know, again, reading Steinbeck kind of makes you pause and think like holy I shit I bring my students down and have a tour and oh, really? go to the Red Pony Ranch and to the Steinbeck House and the Steinbeck Center and the cemetery sometimes up to Fremont Peak sometimes on agricultural tours but you know you need to know the places you live you really need yeah. to know them because that's the thing he really saw the mountains grasses insects flowers you know it's it, the tech the Red Pony is so beautiful because it's, he said he wanted to write it from a child's perspective. You know how children see everything. Kids pick out insects and, and butterflies and such. And that that story always knocks me over because the the birds, the way he describes birds or grasses or you know just nature itself. I love it. It's beautiful. He's yeah. The guy. The guy's awesome, and again, we 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 try to remind people. Oh, good! You're good, 20 good. minutes away from all this <laughs> this inspiration. Yeah, I mean, you're not gonna again. You're not gonna get the Nobel Prize probably, but you can enjoy the scenery. Um, but anyway, so so all of sep- this, the rest of September, all of October into the begin, the first day of November. Yep. And mm-hmm. this isn't only at the Steinbeck Center, right? This is going on at different. I see Cesar Chavez Library here, and the cinema. Um, yeah, it's happening at Hartnell, Monterey Public Library, Cesar Chavez Library, John Steinbeck Library. Um, uh, we're having Sweet Thursdays every Thursday throughout um, and having various professors from CSUMB and Hartnell speak. Um, so, And then Hios del Sol is going to have an exhibit of art at, for Open Studios on October 1st and 2nd. Do you know Jose? Do you mm-hmm. know uh, Ortiz? Uh, he has students who Does are painting like a... each story. So they're doing a. Uh, what? Uh, it's called pen to paper. So they're doing a pen to canvas, actually, or paint to canvas is real, what it really is. So each student is interpreting one of the stories, and then we're going to show them on, a, on a, uh, October 1st and 2nd for Open Studios. One of the stories from Sunstone and Shadow. Yep. Right? Okay. Yep. Everybody picked one story. So that should, that, be, that should be terrific, yeah. So and then you could get the schedule obviously at what is it steinbeck.org? steinbeck.org. The whole schedule's up there, yeah. Yeah, so, so. again cuz it's it's really I mean I have four pages right here in front of me. There there's a lot. Your your voice is going to be ruined by by November. I see your name on here a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope there's a lot, a lot of other people. I just sort of wanted to 
the kickoff is the 16th, and I just wanted to set the sort of stage for thinking about Steinbeck in Mexico and what he wrote about, why he wrote about Mexico, why he wanted to go there, when he went there, all that. So I'll start there, and then other people will talk about the stories mostly. So I have some book groups. We have some book groups at the National Steinbeck Center where people can just sit around like this and talk um, oh, about awesome. the stories. Yeah. So really informally so we're going to have those <laughs> I should right. maybe we yeah. will yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll invite you yeah, yeah. You can. <laughs> that'd be great um so. I, I think that that's awesome. Again, a town that's that's essentially seventy five percent Mexican. Three out of every four people in this town are Mexican, and descent, bro. And then huh? Mexican. Well, it's, descent, it's yeah, actually right. Hispanic that's, or Latino. <laughs> but let's get real. Yeah. You know, there's, there, there's not forty thousand El Salvador. There's there's you know, <laughs> there's yeah, some. Yeah. It, they're people. They're yeah. Mexicans. Um, plus, if Central American, Central American, South Americans, welcome to the race. I'm making you one of us. What's the saying? If you're from the West Coast, you're Mexican. If you're from the East Coast, you're Cuban. It doesn't matter where you come from, you know? <laughs> but anyways. But no, I think, I think that this is great. And it's, it's a great way for the Steinbeck Center. Again, that's a, a, speaking of the geography that we take for granted, I think the Steinbeck Center is also something us as locals take for granted as well. Mm. There's a lot of good research that's being done. I mean, you, you are respected not even just nationally, but worldwide on Steinbeck and, and all this and you're obviously very approachable you know you're, you're here yeah. on our show and uh, there's a lot of other you know scholars that come through here that, that do research here right because you have like some archives and all you're not just a museum where people come no we have archives books. we want students to come there and for not only the Steinbeck young authors but to do research we're going to have a program where we I'll make the whole idea of going into archives more accessible so people can go and like see we have the Pearl manuscript or see a letter he wrote or we just got an archive of the music there's a musical of Mice and Men and so we have the whole archive and I'd love for somebody to perform it Uh, a man in New York did it he he just died but he donated it to um, Selena so there's lots of things that students can think okay i could do research and not be fearful of doing research and it'd be really interesting and really cool to do research so we want we want more students to come in we have a lot of interviews of people who lived here grew up with him and there's a biographer working now who's writing a new biography of steinbeck so wow so he's working at the steinbeck center he's working at the steinbeck center doing research we're also reading we're going with palma school to the soledad prison and reading of mice and men there for the prisoners? For the prisoners with, you know, it's, what? Li- it's called Life, life Cycle Program. Uh-huh. So it's kind of mentoring um, older older prisoners and younger. And so they're reading of Mice and Men now. And that was in the Soledad Foothills, right, of Mice and Men? Yeah, it it's yeah, right by, sounds... yeah, the Salinas yeah, imagine... River, right, right off River Road. Yeah, right imagine re- yeah, hearing that story and then, well, you're in prison, but you see, you know, you see the action, you know. You're kind of It there. might make you I think differently. <laughs> well, yeah. it's about friendship. Maybe I shouldn't it's pull this about... guy on this clerk. <laughs> There's it's about murder. friendship. No. It's about relying on somebody else and, like, who's really your friend? Who could you count on, um, you know, to be there for you, to have, have and, your back? So it's a great, it's a great story. It's, you, I love it. I love rereading it. Yeah. Everybody did. You could go to Paris and be like, settle down, Lenny. And they'll know, like, they'll get yeah. the, the context. There's you know. a French man, there's a guy in France who illustrated of Mice and Men. There's a graphic nice, 
graphic novel oh, of Mice and Men. It's great. It's really beautiful. Really? It has never been translated, it. but it's beautiful. Is it in color? I know it's that sounds like... color, yeah. It okay, that's Well, cool. it was published in black and white, but yeah, he did yeah, a figured. lot of them. Yeah, he okay. did a lot of them. Some of them in color. And he did a giant rabbit for us, so we have a big rabbit that, <laughs> at the end, a big rabbit comes out of Lenny's head. And so he made us a rabbit. <laughs> I want to show it someday. <laughs> have it in have it in the exhibit. Oh, that's and again, I again I, I highly encourage anybody to go to the to the Steinbeck Center. The museum is awesome, but it's it's not like a typical museum where you're like, oh, that's that's cool. And if you get too close, an alarm goes off. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. like um, you could touch. Everything's interactive at the at the Steinbeck Center. It's like everything you you push and, and you move and and all that and, it, and I don't know it somehow you, you just you you get more engaged with the learning. There's a red pony and I know it says one child at a time, but I'll be honest, I got on it. Um, <laughs> child at heart. I was like, yeah, it's a child at heart. It doesn't doesn't have a weight limit or age limit. This is the United States. There's 170 pound teenagers out there. You know, when, when it first opened, I thought, oh, a plastic pony. Who's going to want to get on a plastic pony? And I thought, everybody who's read of my of the red pony will be 12 or 13, and they're not going to want to climb on a red pony. I mean, I was so wrong because I took my daughter, who was 12 at the time, and the first thing she did was get on that yeah. pony. Everybody gets on it. She loved it. It's and I thought, well, this is, yeah. you know. It is interactive. I, we want to change it some and update it a little bit. New videos and new, oh. some new interactive things. So we're, you know, keep the same footprint. Yeah. But anybody who has suggestions, I would love to hear suggestions. Like, um, that's what I, I love the videos. And again, for anyone that's, that's never been there, every little section you go to has a video on kind of a loop. Yeah. You could spend a whole day at, going through that, that museum easily. There's so much stuff there. Well, he really liked movies, so he, he got involved in films a lot, and um, he's kind of liked collaborative projects. So there are a lot of great films made from Steinbeck's books. And did a dubious he, battle coming Did out. he ever like, direct himself or like, wrote a script or anything like he that? He did um, The Forgotten Village. So right after he went to, he went to Baja in 1940 mm-hmm. with his friend Ricketts, to catalog Edric, yeah. Edric, yeah. Yeah, to catalog all the marine invertebrates in Baja. So, um, and right after that, as soon as he got back, he went to Mexico City to make a film about a little village. It was kind of it was supposed to be a political film about what was happening in Mexican politics in 1940, because there was you know there was a real power struggle. Not surprising, and you know they're always. Yeah, and so, but it kind of cooled, calmed down. So instead, he did a film set in this little village, which is really interesting. It's about bringing medicine to this really remote village and what, why they need modern medicine because all the children are dying. The well, Do you mean they're getting cholera, but there's the whole issue of what happens if you bring modern medicine. Do you undercut the curandera? And how she's curing people. So yeah. it's a really interesting film. Good discussions come out of it. So wait, so it was it was made. It was made in 1940. Yeah, and then they took it. It actually it was banned. It's kind of got an interesting history. When it came out, it was banned in in New York because it has it shows a uh, scene of a woman giving in childbirth, giving birth. And the censors said, this is obscene. And Eleanor Roosevelt defended it and said, when is childbirth obscene? And so she came to the defense of it. And so (laughs) so it's, 
you know. She was a friend. She liked Steinbeck's work. She liked the Grapes of Wrath, so she defended that too. That's that's a big that's a big. But yeah, I, I again, I highly encourage anybody go go to the Steinbeck Center. It, it's I honestly that was about well when I I went to go pick up the book. My first time I'd ever been, you know, in the actual exhibit area. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been to the to the store, and I've been to to talks at the, the the hall, the lecture area. I'd never been in the exhibit area. I was actually when when they did the groundbreaking, they they had a little party. It it was a hole, you know. It, it was just gravel for for so long. Um, and I used to play. I was in elementary school at the time, and I was in a rondaya, which is a guitar group. Um, and we played at the the groundbreaking oh, for really? the Steinbeck Center. Oh. Yeah, and I was like, how weird! I'd never been in the exhibit area, but, so, but it was awesome. And I, I again, I felt dumb that I, I live here and I like Steinbeck, and I never oh wow you know, spent a couple hours walking through that place. So that's why I was like, I gotta tell people and gotten, getting on the red pony, huh? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I didn't just get pony. on. I have like twelve pictures in different poses. Um, it was pretty embarrassing, but. <laughs> Everybody likes the truck too, the red pony. I mean, the travels with Charlie truck, the real truck that's in there. On Rocinante. Everybody wants to say, "Oh, I'd love to get in a truck and go around America." That's exactly what I thought. I thought that I was like, "Why haven't I done that? Why don't I get a, a little VW bus or something and just and a dog? Go? Yeah, <laughs> and, and go some around Pisola. America. and some Pisola. <laughs> oh, that's so great. But anyway, I. I, again, I did. I did. I didn't want to do too much research before this because I, I wanted to ask you a lot of questions. Um, but I did some because I didn't want to just come in blank. But I saw somewhere that you you have your your doctorate in philosophy. Is that true? Uh, well, a doctorate in philosophy just means that you get a PhD in you know basically in the humanities. So I have a oh, in, uh, in okay. American literature is what I have my oh, doctorate okay. in. So I teach I teach American literature at San Jose State. So, and one of the courses is a Steinbeck course. So, so we just finished reading To a God Unknown, and they were great. They loved the book. They just thought it was terrific. And it's, it's kind of a, it's an early book, and he put in every idea he had. You know, he wrote it when he was about, what, started it when he was about 28. And it's, it's as if he just couldn't get enough ideas in about what's, what's man's relationship to God or to spirit. And so there's this hero who wants to come to California and establish a ranch, and he thinks he's really powerful. He talks to a lot of the the um, Indians who live around, actually it's set in Mission San Antonio, and they say, hey, you know, there's going to be a drought sometime. And Joseph <laughs> just, nah, no drought, no drought. <laughs> and so it's kind of about the cycles of, of rain and drought in California and what what the main character does about that so and it's got these sacred places in nature it's a really strange book it's almost as like what's going on here um a little bit like magic realism like a mexican story so it's good so anyway i recommend everybody read that so there's well and what would you be your favorite steinbeck book oh let's see that's hard it depends on kind of what i'm uh, i wrote a little book on the Grapes of Wrath, and I love The Grapes of Wrath. You know, it's rich and deep. I like Cannery Row because I think what he had to say about environmental issues and humans not destroying but living in nature and 
uh, we're just another species in the environment. We don't dominate an environment. So I like I like Cannery Row a lot. My husband works in Baja, so I go to Baja all the time. He's a squid researcher. Oh, San Felipe. So yeah. we go to Santa Rosalia. I don't He's know what that is. He's working on a center. I just got a science place. I know it's a party place, but come on. Science. No one's yeah. explained why the beach, <laughs> the ocean disappears to me. All right? No one can explain it. Tides. Well, yeah, no <laughs> so I like Sea of Cortez a lot because I've read it a lot. and So it's a great book. So And it's got all of his ideas in it and what he was thinking about, what he and Rick had talked about. So I like that one. So... What did I? What's your favorite? I again, I I don't know. <laughs> I because um, I want to be like I I, I don't like it, like fiction is not really my thing, you know. Which is weird because I so, but I really like I, again I like Steinbeck, but I like more of his nonfiction oh, really? stuff. Yeah, not his war correspondent stuff. That stuff is boring. I think. Um, but yeah, but again, like uh, Life and Letters, I, I like a lot. And um, huh. have you he, read Sea of Cortez? You should read Sea of Cortez. I, I've only the, the, uh, yeah p- parts of that. But okay. he has an an essay at the end of America and Americans called uh, Humanist Americanus. I think uh-huh. the title right. is. Yeah. And I again, th- that's something that it it literally it could have come out six months ago. <laughs> Where he talks, and, and he, because I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, he, he talks mostly about the you know, black and white America, essentially, and how he feels, um, again, white, white people are essentially scared of, of black Americans. And, and so they, at first, they kept them down by slavery, and then they kept them down by educations and opportunities and all that. And, um, and it was interesting, again, from a white guy writing it. And, um, but but it also it, it doesn't necessarily have to be black and white. It, it applies to to so many other things and and yeah and he it's so it's one of the I think it has not not no emotion but it doesn't seem to come from one side or the other. It doesn't seem to be like oh you know black power <laughs> you know we need to overcome and it's not from a white perspective of like hey we're trying our best. It, it, it seems all really objective, and again, I, I don't believe there's any objective writing. <laughs> every, every, every writing comes from some opinion. Um, but I, I, I really like that essay, story. I, I don't know what you would call it. That's but, great. But it's at the end of American American. That's it's really a, astute, because that's exactly how he wanted to write. He wanted to study things, as if he was a scientist, just looking at, look, here's what's happening. Here's what it looks like. Like you're looking through a microscope, and this is America, and look what's happening, and yeah. you know, let me study it. So that's what he wanted in those essays in America and America. And he also said, you know, America has always treated minorities abominably. And you know, he starts out part of the, one of those essays that way. Um, and I think, you know, I think he understood kind of the history of. Because he had lived in California and knew the history of, you know, farm workers in California from Chinese and Japanese and Filipino. So that history is something he'd lived. So I think that made him more aware of uh, the history, not only of California, but of America, what, what had happened. Yeah, yeah no, I, uh, again, it's, it's one of those, like I say, I, I, I am a big homer sometimes because I'm born and raised in Salinas, but I, I think I personally 
would have been drawn to. And again, and like you said, it's it's mostly my experiences growing up. It's it's not that I was like born to to be drawn to Steinbeck, but, but the the life I, I led, you know, again growing up, it when I did get older and start understanding more, you know, I naturally just gravitated towards his writing and the way he told stories. Um, but yeah, and I, I love that. There's been several times I'm, I'm ranting about something, and I look here to the right, and I'm looking at his house. I'm, I'm looking at, at his childhood home, you know, and I'm like, how, how, like, why are we still upset at this? I'm looking at the house of a, of a Nobel Prize winning writer that be, that you know, in a lot of ways, be, got that prize because of the problems he wrote about that I'm still bitching about today. Like, have have we made any progress? You know. Um, but yeah, and again, I, I, I somehow that, that that helps, you know, that that adds some more power, you know. When I look, and it's like again, not not only the Steinbeck Center, again, twenty yards from from where we're sitting right now, but his house, his actual house, and then again, you go to the to the center and you see pictures of it eighty years ago, and it's the same house. It's the same house. It's the same picket fence. It hasn't changed. Those those, those volunteers that keep that running are, are amazing. And again, that's a big reason why we, why this show exists. No, the, the the people, the volunteers that run that, you know, they are Salinas. They are ju- as much Salinas as anybody else. But you don't see them on the ten o'clock news, you know. You don't. You, you, you don't see their their face on 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 the paper, and they just go about their life, and they they really care about this, and they make this town such a great place to live, and. And again, and that's why I'm happy that we're able to tell that that story here, um, on this show. And and again, I, I'm that's glad. Great, that, that I love what you just said. Yeah, and the fact that they've, you know, that place has been open since what 1974, I think, and it's all been volunteers. They pay the cook, and that's all for all those years, and they've kept it open. Um, People, they've redecorated it. They've people come there almost like a pilgr- pilgrimage to come to Salinas and the Steinbeck Center. Someone came in from I don't know Azerbaijan or something, someplace three weeks ago. Walked in the door and started crying. <laughs> she said, "I can't believe I'm here." So I know I was a stand, and I think it's just that Steinbeck represents something that is really heartfelt. In a lot of people, like he understands, he's he writes about people who don't have much, or you know. So it's not about you know the grapes of wrath. It's about white people, but it's really about class. It's about yeah. you know, people who have lots of land and people who have none. Yeah, and the people who want a home and the people who don't have a home. It's about people who are unhomed. And look at how about how many people in the world don't have homes. Or living on the margins, or in camps that are temporary—that's the story of the grapes of wrath. So, I think um, that's the theme of the next festival: migrations and oh, what wow, that yeah. means today around the world. The grapes of wrath—just what it, what does that word mean? Yeah. You know? So, and I think Steinbeck enters into that dialogue and always has. So, and the ending—holy shit! Grapes of wrath. How it ends. But the lady you feeding the old it. guy that's I'm about like, to die. You guys are getting me so into it. So really? I mean, I'm putting it on my list. So. <laughs> it's, it's a Louis C.K. bit. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, it's supposed to shock, and, oh. but it's also means like if you don't have anything, if you don't have one 
thing to give somebody. Yeah. Um, you can still figure out maybe there's some gesture I can make to help. It might not mean anything. The man still might die. Yeah. But I could do something. I don't have to just sit, sit there and look at him. And it's a really difficult thing to do for a woman, a young woman, to bear her breast and feed an old man. So it's, it's humiliating in yeah. one, one way. But it's, it's beautiful on the other. So it's, it's and, a great ending. It's a perfect ending. It's, it's a jaw-dropper, Kuja. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, and even of mice and men as well. I mean, damn, takes him out himself. Um, but how it's, religious was Steinbeck? I, that's, I was meaning to ask that earlier. Um, he was raised an Episcopalian here in Salinas. And he has a really funny story about how he was an altar boy and was carrying the cross. And he put the cross in its stand and didn't screw it down tightly enough and it <laughs> fell you know down on the on the priest's head uh the minister's head um but i don't know if that's true or not but he tells it a couple of times but i think he didn't like organized religion so he didn't want to be part of a church after he left salinas he you know and his mother and his mother wanting him to go to church but he was always sort of curious about Spirit. That's when I was talking about to a God unknown. It's like, you know, what do we believe in? What's important to us? How do we, what are rituals? Why do humans feel part of something larger than ourselves? I mean, he's always asking those kind of questions. I once asked his wife, his third wife, that very question. And she said, you know, when we traveled, we'd always go to churches. I mean, not that he wanted to sit in a service, but he wanted to be in the space and he wanted to feel it, but he didn't want to participate in that ritual. Yeah. So, yeah, because again, the two the two things that really stand out for me are, um, excuse me, East of Eden, the Tim Shell, you know, Thou Mayest. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. And then also in is it Canary Row where our Father who are in nature, right? And that that is like oh, I, I love that they have it on a rock at the at the soccer complex out in Constitution. <laughs> Do they really? And, yeah. Oh wow! And it's and it's like it's it's such a first of all, it's a great cover of that of that prayer. I mean, and, and it's so awesome. Like again, like if the little tiny mouse. You know, is able to live, and, and God think deems it worthy enough to live. You know, it, I don't know, but yeah. So I was always curious about that, especially Tim Shell, because like, what what does a Hebrew have to do? Where does that come in? Is it, was it, was he, he wasn't Jewish or no? He wasn't Jewish, uh, and it's curious because in the book he has a Chinese, you know, Lee, a Chinese man ask Chinese elders to figure out you know, the meaning of the word. So it's kind of like, wow, what's happening here? Why, how many religious traditions do we have here? But I think, I think he's pointing to, we have to think beyond one religion and we have to think what that whole idea of, we get to choose whether we're going to feel like we're, we're good or bad, good or evil, or if we believe in evil and all of us get to choose. And so, it's kind of focuses back on the individual and the, our conscience and who we think we are. And it's not determined by where we were born or how we were brought up or who our parents are. Or it's 
finally at some point it's just you you got it you get got to choose if you're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing and yeah. i think that's yeah, yeah. That's what it's about. I, I, I love that. The thou mayest. It's like, dude, yeah. as long as you can decide yes or no. And at the end, you know, can. I mean, I think Cal, James Dean in the movie, is a really poignant character. And there's a lot of Steinbeck in Cal. And that, you know, being kind of edgy and attracted to the brothels and yeah. that side of Salinas. But, and he thinks he's bad and he's just doomed to be bad. But at that last scene where... His father finally said, you know, hey, no, you get to be whoever you want to be. So, That's, uh, Fathers and sons, fathers and sons. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how was John's relationship with his dad? He was John Jr., right? Was he? No, he was just John. They, was John. they didn't call him John Jr. I don't know. <laughs> he was, um, his father was very quiet and kind of self-contained and as a, a little dark and moody and... Um, Maybe not easy always for Steinbeck to uh, feel close to. On the other hand, he was a man of principle, and Steinbeck really admired his principles and said he, you know, he taught me the difference between right and wrong. He taught me values. And also, I think the most important thing when he got older, his parents believed that he'd make it as a writer. I mean, he started writing when he was 14 and didn't make any money until he was 33. So I always tell my students that, you know, tell your parents that Steinbeck didn't make any money at his writing until he's Thank you. 33, tell, and they helped him out. Hey, Mom! Exactly. Only 29! <laughs> <laughs> and his parents helped him out. They gave him a house, the house in Pacific Grove. They gave him $25 a month. So I think that he really loved the fact that his parents stood by him. You know, they wanted him to be a writer. They wanted him, because his father had never done what he wanted to do he really wanted to be a farmer and i think he admired the fact that his son was so determined to like carve out his own path and be a writer that his father was really supportive of that so interesting relationship and uh i'm sorry for kind of going back and forth and all over the place i'm the but did, did they really burn his books on main street yeah like and was it like a really a big deal? Just, was yeah. it just like fifteen people, or, or was it like actually like a mob? Because sometimes it's just like five people do it, and after the years, it's like the whole town was there. There was an effigy on fire. Yeah, I don't. First of all, I don't. I. It was probably one book. There, they were usually symbolic burnings. It wasn't like there was a pile of books. I mean, it was burned in Bakersfield, Salinas. Um, Never liked Buffalo. Bakersfield. <laughs> <laughs> Bakersfield had a bit. They really got riled up. Um, Which book was it? Of Grapes of Wrath. Okay. You know, so, but so I think it was just symbolic. Book. Like we really don't like this book. It didn't get all that much attention in Salinas, but in Bakersfield, they took a picture of the burning of the book and it was published I think in Life magazine so that became a kind of iconic picture of the burning so many burning. pages too I bet that burned for so a while they have <laughs> they have some guy you know holding holding the book up right you know in an, in a like a incinerator a, you know garbage can yeah. and he's about to drop it in so it became a pretty famous image yeah thanks Bakersfield I help they banned, they banned the book, though. Nobody in the county could read it. And the librarian 
Well, they're so going to read it because they can't read. This is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. It is Bakersfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just no cattle that. brands. I didn't say that. There was a great <laughs> conference on the Grapes of Wrath in Bakersfield a couple years ago. Um, the uh, dean, so the dean uh, <laughs> loves it. And Bakersfield Sound, look at the music that came out of yeah. Bakersfield. So. You know, good music. Yeah, Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard. Yeah, yeah Merle Haggard. We, we don't, so. don't realize that. Um, but yeah, okay, yeah. So that that's they make it sometimes when the the paper or somebody wants to bring that up every couple of years, they make it seem like there was a big pile and somebody prayed or something over the fire. Or something. Yeah, no. it's always crazy. And when the Beatles were first, I thought it was gonna be like, yeah, like, like you know, what was crazier is the. There was a lettuce strike here in 1936, and it was pretty, it was sort of a stand. It was going to be the last they were place in the state where they were going to just stop all strikes, stop all workers from striking. So it was, it was lettuce packers in the sheds, and they went, they went on strike. And, um, but the whole town armed. I mean, it was like with baseball bats and then there was a general there was a guy who came down from San Francisco and said I'm going to organize this these militias in town and he did and he stayed at the the Joffrey Hotel so it's like this incredible situation he was broadcasting from the Joffrey Hotel and sort of this and creating these militias and they said on the radio Oh, the Reds, you know, the communists are marching down from Salinas, from San Francisco to Salinas because there are red flags all along Highway, you know, I guess it wasn't 101 then, Highway 1. And so there are red flags. It turns out they were highway flags, but this guy said, you know, the communists are marching down to Salinas. Everybody was overwrought, overheated, you know, it was a really kind of overwrought thing. But Steinbeck saw this when he was writing The Grapes of Wrath. So he came through Salinas in, this was in September 1936, and talked about, like, in the town where I grew up, there was this, you know, sort of, he talks about in that essay, you said, always something to do in Salinas. That's the end of the essay. Yeah. And so I think part of that comes into the book, The Grapes of Wrath. So he was really angry at Salinas when he was writing that book, because whenever somebody didn't want to pay higher wages, he'd say, that's Salinas thinking. So it's almost like he centered all of his anger at the situation in California on Salinas. You know, later, of course, he got over it, but that tempers were tempers were high in 1939, and so it was it was bad. So, and the Jeffrey Hotel still stands. Yeah, I mean, for there. anyone listening, it's the the Chispa building here downtown. The yeah, the it still has all the the ornate architecture it up does. top. They, they they just put an HVAC unit up there and put some stupid covers on it, but it still has. The, I don't know. Um. Yeah, we do a we do a tour of downtown uh, fr- out of the Steinbeck Center um, Fridays every other Friday. So um, every other Friday, talk, talk about Steinbeck Salinas and what would have been there and the buildings and so. That's one thing again. For as much uh, criticism I, as I give the the mayor and council, at some point they were smart about it in the '80s and they didn't demolish their downtown like a exactly. lot of cities did. And turn it into surface parking lots. They they did do a decent job of keeping a lot of the old buildings here, and it's beautiful, you know, to this day. And yeah, and it make it's it's a lot different. You can go by several buildings; they have plaques, you know. Oh, this was featured in Chapter Seventeen of of this or that. And um, you know, Chinatown is again, it's 
it's different. <laughs> it's different or, or the same in a lot of ways than when Steinbeck was around. Again, there's a lot more streets dividing it, I think. That's what is kind of weird. Market Street is just a border now. Right. Um, but it is pretty awesome that, yeah, that you could read these books and then come to Salinas and kind of feel it because you could see it visually. Yeah, a lot of people come here and they say, wow, this town is really pretty. I think more people should stop when they're going along Highway 101. I think that they should come to Salinas off 101. It's the John Steinbeck Highway I now. know it is. I know. Oh, he is. That his is, ashes are turning over. I love. No, I love that. I love that it announces that you're on. I want one of those. The, I want one of those standing figures. I want Steinbeck to be on the side of the highway. Yeah, by be, that sign, you yeah, know. That'd be cool. yeah. So, I've always thought that'd be cool. And I, I, we got to get into some conspiracies because podcasts love conspiracies. <laughs> and I was, I was here one time with a couple from Birmingham, England. Well, I wasn't here with them. They just showed up. I'm like, what's your accent? Oh, we're here. <laughs> The, well, the wife was from Ireland, so that's why they were kind of, it was different. Ireland, and he was from, from England, but at the, this time they were living in Birmingham, and the husband was a Steinbeck fanatic. He was just like, again, he was one of those that just was like, I cannot believe I'm here. And I was like, dude, he probably drank some beer at this exact spot. <laughs> <laughs> this building's been here since 1896, dude. He at least bought his fucking rice here at some point. Um, so <laughs> I was hyping him up and all that. But he was saying um, some some professor at a university, I don't know if it was a university in Birmingham, but some professor in England, he was saying that he swore that Steinbeck killed himself. He said, oh, he killed himself, there was no autopsy, and they, they cremated him, and so there was no, no proof of that. And uh, the, the, what is it, heart disease or something was, was the actual yeah. medical thing? Um, and I'm like, oh, I love conspiracies. I don't know. You know, it's, that's a good question. And I don't know. But I'll tell you that... So he had, he had these heart problems and episodes. Probably um, maybe mini heart attacks or mini, you know, whatever, mini strokes. So he had two or three of them. So when he took off for the travels with Charlie... Trip. His wife said, "Are you crazy? You're going to drive alone across the United States?" You know, but so people were worried about his health. So when he finally got really sick in 1968 and was dying, um, he had from about 1960 on. Whenever he traveled, he carried cyanide around his neck in a capsule. So he didn't well, want to. He didn't want to die. <laughs> he didn't want to get really sick in some place like Vietnam and not be able to just, uh, you know, okay. and not suffer. Yeah. So I don't know at the end if he said, "This is it. I, I, this is enough for me." Yeah. But it's one of those private moments we'll never know. Yeah. But I know, and his third wife told me as if it were just something everybody does that he carried this capsule um, just in case he'd need it if he were someplace and got really sick so you know wow so uh, I don't know that's un- yeah. I don't know I wish I could whip up a controversy for you but yeah. I'm not sure I, I mean <laughs> controversy confirmed yeah. you know yeah, like I it said may that. have happened well I was like what there's, there's even conspiracy theories what does this guy not do you know, speaking of England, though, there's a there's a guy who's going to write something for the next Steinbeck News, 
And he had a restaurant called Steinbeck's in London. He so loved Steinbeck. And he painted portraits of Steinbeck. The first one when he was like 17. And so he's painted three of them. So he's going to send me pictures of the portraits. So I'm going to show them. And he has racehorses now. And he names them after Steinbeck's novels. <laughs> so Burning Bright is doing pretty well. And so he's going to tell me about his racehorses. I loved it. He's like, you know, a Steinbeck fanatic. And he was so excited that I wanted to hear more about the stories. I said, yeah, I want to see your paintings. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, but anyway, I, again, this, this big read festival, I don't, know what, what, I don't know what to call it because it's going on for a long time. This, we'll release this episode. Big Read event, bro. What's up? It's a Big Read <laughs> event from the 16th oh. is the kickoff, and it, Day of the Dead is the closing party. Actually, well, that yeah, this we'll release this on the on the 12th, so just plenty time. of time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and there's really no point in trying to go through each one of these events because there's so many. <laughs> go to the website. Go to Steinbeck.org. All, the whole schedule is there. And really Free important, you, and you can pick up books at the Steinbeck Center. So they're also in libraries. We gave a lot away to libraries and schools, but we're selling them at cost, so they're only six dollars. Oh wow! So no um, in Spanish, yeah. no profit. No. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, no, and Grant again, pays for the book, and we ordered more. We ordered initially five hundred. We ordered two hundred more. So we we wanted as many books to be out there as possible. So. Um, we have it in Spanish and English. So. Yeah, and exactly. And, and again, the, the book is uh, Sunstone and Shadows, uh, 20 great Mexican short stories. And again, like I said, uh, a lot of our audience is Mexican. I mean, we're both Mexican. Um, and so, so if this is, if you were curious kind of about your culture or, you know, you're like, oh, I, we read too many Steinbeck books instead of Mexican <laughs> books. This is a great way to get introduced to a lot of different authors and to get a, a varied amount of genres. And they're really quick. They're, they're really easy to read. You don't have to sit there and read a whole book. You could read one short story at a time. Um, yeah, and and yeah, and yeah, and there's going to be talks about it, so you can be involved if you want. If your story really re- touches you or something, you could uh, go to Steinbeck.org, find one, one of the talks, and go talk about it. Um, but Susan, again, th- thank you for doing oh, thanks. this. Thanks, it was uh, fun. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah, and again, <laughs> I can tell all our guests now that you've been on once, you're more than welcome to come on again and oh, reach out to us if there's any event or something you would like us to, to, to talk about or, or to put. You know, We're going to mount Comic Con again. We're going to have a sponsor Comic Con in December. It was great. I it was there, great. It was yeah. they had the third, the that'd be the third year, Selena. right? Yeah, yeah, it'll be the third year. Selena's what do you mean sponsored there? Like, Pardon? You said that it's going to be sponsored? Oh, it's going to be at... Um, we're still getting sponsors, still getting, you know, speakers, etc. Oh, you're getting speakers? That's cool. Uh, <laughs> so I have a lot of people, yeah, who are interested. So it's mm-hmm. going to be at Hartnell. So in the student oh. center at Hartnell. we got to get Brendan Small. Anybody you want to suggest, no, well, please. Brendan yeah. Small is from Salinas. Yeah, that's actually his cartoon. Oh, wow. He, he drew up a cartoon and started a whole band for it. Movies. And oh, really? he's from Salinas. His, his parents have something to do with the industry here. So I don't know. where, does, I don't know, where does he live now? Los Angeles. Los Angeles? Probably Hollywood. I don't know. Okay, you, but, get, um, you get me his contact and we'll invite oh, him. I can give you his Twitter. 
I'll okay. figure it out though. <laughs> okay. That would be awesome. Dude. He's huge. Yes. I mean, Death Clock is huge, and he did home movies. Yeah. And yeah, he. Maybe he's listening, and he'll just say, "I oh, want to come home." We do have listeners in Los Angeles. <laughs> That'd be so awesome. I'm assuming. Johnny Bravo's the creator, also, yeah. yeah. Bishop Salinas. What's his name? He's still Van, here, right? Van, 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 Van something. I don't know. Van something. I forgot All right, we're hooking you up. You know, I mean, you know what? Steinbeck, <laughs> Steinbeck loved comic strips. So he's, yeah, he said he loved, um, he loved Al Cap. He wrote an essay about Al Cap, and he said, um, comic strips may be the real literature of our times. So he, he loved them. He loved, you know, graphic art, so... We kind of we're working on that. We're, we're we're our partner is the Salinas Public Library, so we're going to do literacy and comics and so. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Sug- yeah, yeah. We'll call we'll in suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can make this happen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely again be talking about that because we, we like it as it is. Mm-hmm. I got a painting or a print that Cujo got me at last year's Comic Con oh, yeah. on my wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, not Gonzo. I'm sorry. I always get his name wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Hunter Thompson. Thank you. There you go. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Susan, for, for doing you. this. It's really and, uh, fun. Yeah, yeah, and, and we love Loved the Steinbeck. Oh, I love the Steinbeck Center. Cujo needs to read some more. I really do. So <laughs> I got Cujo what's right the name now. of your podcast? You Selena's Underground podcast. Selena's Underground. What's up? Yeah, because when you listen to us, you know what's up. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I like that. Oh. What's up? Okay. But anyway, so yeah, I get thanks for being on and, and thank yeah. you. I'm I'm delighted. I'm yeah. honored. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs>